Hi everybody, Paul here from the Nonpartisan Evangelical. What you're about to hear is a Facebook conversation I had recently with my friend Bob Prater. Now Bob is a former licensed minister, a guy that's been involved in ministry for a long time, and he's also co-author of a book called A Language of Healing for a Polarized Nation, which is super. You got to pick that book up and read it. He also has a podcast called A Muslim and a Christian Walk Into a Studio and a Facebook page called What Is It? And Bob is just a great guy to talk to and think about things going on in life. So I hope you enjoy this version of the podcast from the nonpartisan evangelical. We're talking religion and politics on the nonpartisan evangelical podcast. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Challenging the mindset of the partisan evangelical church and asking the question, is God really a conservative Republican? And does God require his followers to be? What knucklehead, mush-for-brains evangelical leaders are trying to, uh, to overthrow Trump? What, you've got to ask yourself, it's a special kind of dumb that is oppositional to Trump and calling yourself a Christian. Podcasting worldwide on the NPE network at npepodcast.com. That's why we've got to pray, because they think we're crazy, but we're actually the same ones. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast with the Nonpartisan Evangelical himself, your host, Paul Swearingen. Paul, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Bob? You look all official, man. But you, you know, we're... I look official. I got a, I have a hoodie on. I no, no, no. What's that? What's the thing in the foreground? Uh, this is that your microphone? Yeah, that's my microphone. See, I have super official. Super official. Yeah, I, I don't know how it sounds through Zoom, but I thought it would look cool at least. My microphone is off to the side. Here it comes. It's creeping in. Hello, <laughs> hello. That's my microphone. Uh, so Paul. Yeah. You're sheltering in place. I am. I am. We have, I think we ventured out to the drugstore yesterday. Um, that, and, and that's about all I've been out of the house for the last three days, I think. <laughs> um, and it's, it's so funny because, you know, I needed some hair products and hair products are going to become very important as I don't get to have a haircut for the next 30 days. And, and so we were going down the hair aisle, hair products aisle, and we're like, oh, there's people already there, you know, and, and you're like, okay, we can't go down the aisle until these people clear out the aisle. It's, it's just, I'm not, so I'm not the only one. No, we're, you know, we're, and even, you know, at the drugstore we were at, they, they have, uh, they've taped squares on the floor. So when you're waiting to pay, you, you stand in the square. So you have good social distancing while you're waiting to get out. So, right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a new norm. You think it's overkill until you find out that, uh, it looks like the virus is being spread uh, even by talking to one another. Yeah. Blowing air out is, ah. uh, can, can transmit the virus. And so uh, we have to be smart. You know, okay, so uh, along those lines, I did a podcast this week. I've, I've been on several podcasts this week. You are everywhere. You are the, you yeah. are the media these days. I'm the You, you know what? Uh, Howard Stern likes to call himself the king of all media. Uh, I'd like to see him pull off what I've pulled off this week. <laughs> so, uh, it's been a kick in the pants. Every last one of them has been a kick in the pants. 
uh, but I was on a podcast with our mutual friend, Wayne Jacobson. Oh, good. Uh, and we talked about the primary topic was Psalm 91, which is, uh, listen, it's this wonderful, reassuring portion of scripture that, uh, that says that no harm will fall to us. Um, we had a really, really interesting conversation because, uh, of course, it rains on the just and the unjust. So there are believers who are dying from this virus. Um, I, I just got news that a friend of mine today uh, in another country is in intensive care right now uh, with COVID-19. A young man, early 40s. Wow. Sorry, I, I'm muting myself a little bit because my dog is losing it for the yard guy in the backyard. So my dog may join us a little bit. But yeah, I'm sure sorry to hear about your friend. That's terrible. Oh, in, in the new reality, Paul, dogs barking is normal. It's part of the deal. Yeah. It's just It's just how it goes. Um, I mean, newsflash, you're at home. Yeah. Is your yep, dog which- yeah, I think he went. I think he went outside through the dog door. So hopefully he'll stay out there for a while. But yeah, you're right. I, I think, you know, both of us would agree that Psalm 91 is a great psalm, and it's one we can lean on, and our our faith can really buoy us. and And it's one of the things I love about faith, really, of of any, uh, whatever it looks like for people. It can be such a great foundational thing to carry us through hard times. But if we start to say Psalm 91, that, that means nothing bad can ever happen to me. During a pandemic, I can I can go to church services and, and I won't get sick is a, a misunderstanding of that passage. Oh, thank you. Isn't it? I mean, it, isn't it crazy? I was just reading today about a funeral in Albany, Georgia, like Albany, Georgia has an incredibly large amount of people with coronavirus, and they've traced it to two funerals that happened sort of at the beginning of the shelter in place stuff. And people went to those funerals. And I, I think one, they said there was about 100 people and 43 people from that funeral have come up with the virus. Two have died. And so this this stuff is very contractable. And the fact that we still particularly in the Christian community, have people debunking this thing and calling it a conspiracy just grieves me to no end. And the idea that Psalm 91 says we can go ahead and get together even as our our leaders are asking us to shelter in place is just a, a foolish interpretation of the scripture. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, we, we, we live in strange days and uh, there, there, is, there, there is absolutely no doubt that that rules are changed before us. My gosh, the 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 governor of Georgia just yesterday and Florida, both governors uh, decided to lock down their states. We're we're finding out that that this is at least ten times more contagious than the flu could ever hope to be. It just it travels in a different way, and it just doesn't take any real contact to 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 get this virus. Yeah. I read some things with, uh, with or I, I saw Chris Cuomo this morning on CNN uh, talking to Sanjay Gupta, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. And, and he said that this is the most intense sickness he has ever had. He's got COVID-19. Uh, and he said it's really bad at night. He said he was hallucinating, thought he saw his dad. Um, and he was thrashing around to the point where he chipped a tooth. Uh, 
and Sanjay Gupta told him, he said, dude, I don't feel like you have to check in with us. Uh, why don't you just not be on camera for a couple of days? Uh, so uh, this is real. It's raining on all of us. We, we have to be responsible. This is where the way that we love each other comes into play. Um, you and I both know some people. Uh, I mean, we've heard of people who are so hell-bent, and I use those two words on purpose, they are so hell-bent on proving that their view is right and everybody else is wrong, that this is a hoax or a conspiracy or no worse than the flu. And so they are willing, for the sake of being right, to put lives at risk as they continue to meet. We see a pastor in McFarland doing exactly that. that story. Yeah, which is between me and you. I mean, and he's got a congregation of 400, mostly, and we both know that McFarland is a farming community. It is a poor community. So he is putting people at risk. And uh, and people are willing to put other lives at risk to prove that they know something that no one else knows. That, to me, is not the definition of love. Ah! Yeah. other people above ourselves. I mean, when, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, there's a pretty clear picture of what love is. Setting aside our own agendas for the sake of others. What's yeah, it? I saw the, I saw the story on on that pastor and and he was sharing conspiracy theories that hey, this may have come from China or, you know, these things and and it's just it's I'm not sure why that's so pervasive now, other than we've sort of given ourselves over to that type of media for such a while now in, in our churches that that it has it has great sway over our leaders. I think some of this is financial, you know, churches are are, are hurting financially. Um, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and, and those are real concerns. I'm not I'm not making jest of those at all. I, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this week. He said their giving was was at about fifty percent online before this all happened, and he said they're so they're capturing about fifty percent of their income right now, and the others that paid when with checks at church are not giving, and and so there are real financial concerns there. But to put people's lives at risk for that, I think is is a, a poor idea, and then to do it to sort of I, I think prove some bravado or some modicum of faith. Because my question to the, that McFarland pastor or Rodney Howard Brown, the guy in Florida who's being celebrated so much for this, is that if if your faith says no harm is going to befall you, as was being prophesied all the time in Jeremiah's day, uh, if that's your if that's your stance, then then why do you have locks on the front door of your church? You should leave your church unlocked at all times and say anybody that wants to come in at any time can because God's going to protect our equipment from being stolen. And, you know, why, why have security teams in the service? Some of them armed. Rodney Howard Brown has AR-15 armed security at their church. Why would you need to do that if you have a lot of faith in God? Or why would you need to set uh, protections in place to make sure children don't get abused if, if, if God is your faith? So it's a, it's a false premise and a lot of people talking about the passage in First Timothy that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but also in that list he, he's given he's given us power and self control or wisdom in that as well. So I think I don't think it's a lack of fear to live in wisdom. I mean, a lack of faith to live in wisdom. 
I don't either. I was reading the story today about the the owner of the New England Patriots who sent uh, the team jet to China to pick up over a million masks and even gave a whole bunch of them to New York, who is their hated rival. Um, and, uh, you know, I just think stories like that are great. And and really watching our our leaders, those that are just doing such an amazing job of making tough decisions and, you know, and and many maybe in our stream of Christendom aren't aren't huge fans of Gavin Newsom. And I certainly have my some of my own issues with him. But I think that our governor has done an amazing job. And uh, reading last night a story about how the the curve of California has been flattened. And there are other states that I won't, you know, I'm not going to curse any of them by saying their name, but that were much slower in their response and are seeing a much greater curve. Now we're going to see our numbers, I, I hear, really spike up and particularly in Central California here over the next week, we're really going to see a spike, we're being told. But but uh, our, our, our curve, it looks like, has been flattened by the really quick response of our leaders. And uh, so that's some heartening news for us today. You know what? Um, I can't say enough for those who have been on the front lines of this. I mean, from from healthcare workers to uh, to politicians who have had to make really, really difficult choices and decisions in the midst of. Um, I just think it's wonderful the way that that, that uh, people have stepped up in the midst of. So, uh, yeah, it, it, we're seeing the worst of and we're seeing the best of simultaneously. Yeah. It's just happening right before our eyes. But uh, I found it significant this last week um, that we passed the, the number of deaths for the coronavirus passed the number of deaths on 9-11. Um, you know, you remember how staggering and, and of course it's, you know, the circumstances are different and that number was so painful for us. But to, to see us pass that number now in the deaths of the coronavirus, and now the United States has the most cases of any country in the world, um, is I, I thought those numbers were significant for me. And, and, and I keep hoping at some point these numbers are going to sober people around us that will finally start to say, yeah, maybe we were a little off in, in mocking this thing in the early, early going. And uh, and and then not use it as a conspiracy theory against this side or that side. But um, I think that's a sobering moment. And and then back to the conversation about Psalm 91, you know, there, if we were never supposed to experience pain, if life was never supposed to have trial, um, we wouldn't have verses in the New Testament like it rains on the just and the unjust, or suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character produces hope. Um, I think I think life is supposed to have challenges. I think mortality is a part of life, and I think it's a it's a good chance for us to to grieve with one another and understanding that that's that is a part of the process of life, just like just like anything else. And in some ways, it's it's a part of the enrichment of life of saying we're because because we now get to see heroic things of people going to work in healthcare situations where they're putting themselves at risk every day for their fellow man, and 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 while we grieve terribly for the things that happen, can we rejoice that we're seeing how amazing humanity can be towards humanity when it chooses to be? Oh, there it is. I mean, and who would have thought that we would see a day in our lifetime? where grocery store workers are heroes. Yeah. But they are. I mean, in, in my city, uh, there have been some that have tested positive 
for COVID that, that all they did was go to work and serve others. Uh, it, it's, it's an amazing reality that we're living in right now. And I count myself very fortunate to be alive today to, to, to go through this with the world. And, and you, you talk about, you know, the cases here now, now we don't know if every country is reporting correctly. We, right. we certainly don't know if China has given us good numbers. Most likely they have not. Right. But for what we know right now, uh, we just passed 1 million cases of COVID on the earth. And here's a crazy stat. 25% of those cases are in the United States. 25%. So we're 5% of the world, actually under five. We're 5% of the world's population. Now, again, I know that other countries may not be reporting accurate numbers. And for all I know, we might not be reporting accurate numbers. I mean, I, I'm certain that we don't know everybody that has it for sure. No, we really don't. Yeah. Um, but I find it interesting that with the numbers that we do have right now, we are 25% of the world's cases, 250,000 out of 1 million hmm. are in the United States. Um, could we have flattened the curve a little bit earlier? Yes. Yes. The answer <laughs> Yes, we could have. When we see the governor of, of Florida and the governor of Georgia just yesterday, the governor of Georgia, my goodness. Yeah. Governor Kemp, I believe is his name. Um, for just him, discovered yesterday that this is communicable, yeah. It just, I, we just found out in the last 24 hours that this can be passed by people who don't show symptoms, who yeah. are symptomatic. You have got to be kidding me. What rock have you been living under, Governor Kemp? Uh I don't know how this works and how people are literally trying to shift responsibility and, and trying to say, no, it's not my fault. It's his, it's his fault. No, it's not their fault. It's her fault. And, uh, and you've still got Democrats blaming Republicans, Republicans blaming, blaming Democrats. Meanwhile, people are legitimately dying. I mean, the dude that wrote one of my favorite songs, the, the, the guy from Fountains of Wayne, died yesterday. He wrote that great song, That Thing You Do from the Tom Hanks movie. Oh, yeah. I didn't oh, my know that. gosh. I mean, that is a bouncy, wonderful song. Uh, so he's gone at 52 from mm. the virus. So anybody that thinks that they're impervious or thinks that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm somehow I've got a special bubble around me. Um, we live on this earth. We live on this earth. Uh, there was a there there was there is this thing called the curse that happened to the earth uh, when man entered into a, a, a different reality of, of sin. Um, now I don't think God is counting sins against us today, but I do like that thing about the sound mind that that replaces fear. You know, love, power, and a sound mind—the ability to see things—and uh, it's not lost on me that here here comes Passover, and during Passover, Paul. Um, the Israelites were told to put blood on the doorposts and there was one more instruction for them. Stay inside. Shelter in place is what the Lord said to them. Yeah. So pardon my language right here, but what the hell are we doing? <laughs> and what the hell are these pastors thinking Trying to bring think you were going to say hell there. I thought something else was coming. So yeah, uh, just this stuff irritates me. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it's 
tirade over. No, it's great. And I've, I've been asking people, you know, uh, and actually was asked to write an op-ed, which I don't know if it'll get published or not, but sort of why, why are Christians sort of in this space right now? And so I don't know, why do you think, cause I, cause one of the things, one of my goals in this, I'm trying to tell people, Hey, the, the, the people that are in, in the space of sort of still denying going, you know, still wanting to have church services, which by the way, the church was never intended to be defined by a building. Never, never it. Yeah. They met in buildings and they met at home and they went and changed the world outside buildings. But, but so, but what I'm trying to tell you people is, these are not stupid people and they're not evil people. No, they're not. These are good, smart people that you and I know. And so to call them deplorables or morons or any other stuff isn't fair. So, so why is it, Bob, that good, good-hearted, God-loving, smart people are still willing to sort of dive into these conspiracy theories and deny the importance of coronavirus and and still argue that we should be meeting in in church buildings on Sunday morning. Well, okay, so I mean that's the question for the ages right now, right? Because there truly is a sincerity. You know, I don't know about Rodney Howard Brown. Yeah, I'm not go that far. Uh, <laughs> but, but for for most, there's right. a sincerity. the pastor in McFarland is super sincere. The people that I know that are still maintaining that this is not as bad as we think it is are very sincere. They're good, good, good people. But you know what I think it is? What's that? I think it's fear. I think it's fear. I think those who are calling for people to gather are afraid of their finances. I think they're afraid to be seen as speaking a different word than the rest of their movement. Yeah. Um, and being seen as weak. And we've, I, man, I was told from the time I was 10 years old sitting in a church that one of these days the government was going to try to shut us down. Yeah. And, and there are those who believe that this is that. And so, um, my honest, it's fear. It's fear driven. Interesting. And I think that's true. I also think, um, you know, one of the things it says in the Bible is we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the air. I, and, and so when I read that word principality, I think of, I think of mindset. I think of, of groupthink. And I, I think we're in the midst of a groupthink. And, and, and like I said, in this op-ed I was writing today, you know, this has sort of been the church's position, the evangelical churches, or maybe I could even perhaps somewhat unfairly saying, again, when we're saying these things, we're not talking about individuals, we're talking about a, a, a swath of right. people, but sort of this white evangelical church belief that I think believed really started in the late 60s when cultural change was so you know, chaotic around us. I think we did adopt sort of a fearful position of like, oh my gosh, everything's out of control. And so here comes Richard Nixon and he's the law and order president. And, and he's saying, you guys are a silent majority out there. You common sense people. And I think I, 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 and, and I think that that did something for us. It, it gave us some sense of power and ability to, to wrestle against cultural change around us that, that God may not have been entirely against, you know, and, and, and so then in the, in the late 70s, uh, there was a political operative named Paul Weyrich 
who was working with Jerry Falwell Jr. on some projects, and they determined together that, hey, you know, abortion has always been considered a Catholic issue, not an evangelical issue. If, if we could really push abortion as an evangelical issue, we could get evangelicals to vote. And, and they were able to sort of galvanize the evangelical community to vote out Jimmy Carter and vote for Ronald Reagan around this issue. And so then the, so that's when the moral majority was born. And so I think for this some 50 years here, Bob, we've been living in this idea that God's purpose for our country and pushback against those cultural changes that make us uncomfortable could happen if we are a block of political, powerfully powerful people. And it's not unlike, I think, then in the days of Jeremiah or the days when Jesus was on earth, where there was this mindset amongst the religious that said, hey, if we could overthrow government, if the Messiah would appear and overthrow government, or in Jeremiah's day, the prophets were saying, you know, as long as we believe in God, calamity will not befall us. And it became this groupthink where even the prophets are prophesying out of this mindset, rather, you know, I think hearing, and so I think today, smart, wonderfully good-hearted people who believe they're doing their best for God feel compelled to be a part of this mindset. And, and so that's sort of what I believe is happening a little bit. And Romans 12, 2 commands us every once in a while, stop and not be conformed to the age around us, but to have transformation come by having our minds renewed. And, and that's really what I'm trying to challenge Christian people with is, are we thinking at all that maybe some of this is a little out of alignment with where God is? I, and a that, virus should be a good opportunity for us to step back and think that. There you go. It's a, it's an opportunity for a reset and a reboot. And uh, and I, I, I like the, the path that you took us down with kind of, you know, laying out the history of when the church got involved politically, although the church got involved politically, I mean, going back to the Catholic church and I, and I mean, it's always been there, but my lifetime, it was the, it was the 1970s when the moral majority came into, into power and, and we began to, you know, and and Nixon, you're, you're right. He was known as a law and order guy. Um, And he called, he, he, he didn't use dog whistles. He spoke right to them and called them the silent majority. Uh, And so, uh, even as we're even as we're facing what we're facing today, and there are those who have drawn political lines in the sand, uh, even around the virus, and around church attendance, and around all the things that are with it, I am reminded of Psalm twenty, which says, "Some trust in chariots, and some in horses, but we will remember trust the name of our Lord." Right. So, there are always those who are going to trust in armies. There are always those who are going to trust in political machines. Uh, But it's never, ever the answer. The answer is the kingdom. And, uh, And so we go forward with that knowledge. And we, you know, my allegiance is to a king and his kingdom. My my allegiance, as much as I love this country, is not to a president and a flag. Right. It just is not. Um and uh, I'm willing to die for a king and his kingdom.
everybody, Paul here. Let me interrupt this great discussion to tell you about my novel, Joseph Comes to Town When the Religious Right Goes Religiously Wrong. Have you wondered why Christians are so stridently right-wing, it seems, or particularly white evangelical Christians? Why is that? Is it because they're stupid? Is it because they're evil? No, it's none of the above. And my novel is a story that talks about why this belief system has been so prevalent in the evangelical church so long and why it looks like what it does today. And now, not only can you read about the religious right going religiously wrong, you can hear it happen as well. It sounds a little bit like this. And maybe that's just your way to keep everyone at a distance. Becky tilted her head to the side and crossed her arms over her chest. You don't know anything about me, she finally was able to say. Well, I know what Father God has told me, Joseph responded, his cheeks bunching up in a warm, inviting smile. Becky knew BS, and she knew gamesmanship. She stared at Joseph, searching for any selfish motives in this discussion. His brown eyes were piercing, and she suddenly felt as if Joseph had some ability to see deep inside her. Becky always kept herself guarded and in control. She shifted uneasily. God told you? Some people call it intuition or something like that. Father God is always ready to speak to us if we'll listen, and he shares things with me. Why would God be telling you things about me? To show you he knows you and cares about you, said Joseph. Becky couldn't help but laugh. I don't think God cares about me. God and I haven't talked in a long time. Maybe you need to ring up another voice up there. Joseph placed a hand on each of her arms and looked at her with a seriousness that made her humor die in her throat. Rebecca, Joseph said. His tone and the use of her full name demanding her undivided attention. That's my audiobook from the Joseph the Audiobook series, which you can access by becoming a part of our nonpartisan evangelical Patreon community. If you go to my website, npepodcast.com, click on that Patreon button in the upper right corner. It's only $5.99 a month is its lowest level. You can give more. This is the support that comes in to keep this message of the nonpartisan evangelical going. And when you do that, you'll get podcasts from me, special messages from me and my wife, Ashley. And you'll have access to the Joseph audiobook series. Segments one, two, and three are up already. And segment four will be coming out in about a week. And with each of the segments of the book that comes out, I give a special commentary that tells what was going on when I wrote the book. Where did the characters come from? And just the different concepts. And I would love for you to have it. So go to my website, npepodcast.com. Click on the Patreon button in the upper right corner. And it'll show you how you can access the nonpartisan evangelical Patreon community and get access to the Joseph Comes to Town audiobook series. I would so love for you to check it out. It's one of the true projects that I've truly loved through all this process of the nonpartisan evangelical. Now, back to the conversation on the nonpartisan evangelical and the NPE podcast at npepodcast.com. You mentioned something really interesting, and I, I'd love to explore it a little bit as much as you're comfortable exploring it with uh, prophetic voices that are rising up right now. Hmm. Uh, and you and I have been in certain streams of the church where uh, prophetic voices are very, very recognized, listened to, trusted, and respected. Um, 
but there are some people that, that come to my mind immediately that have already said things about this season. Um, and I, I wonder if you might want to talk about that. You don't have to, but what are your thoughts on that? Um, as, as far as kind of what our prophetic voices are saying out there. Yeah. And you don't have to name names if you don't want to, but you can. Well, I think, I think you and I both believe, um, that there's, there's definitely a God out there. There's, there's a mystical world outside our own. And I, I think you really have to try hard to not believe that that exists out there. And, and so I, I truly believe that we can have intuition from heaven that comes. And, and in our tradition, we call that a prophetic word, hearing something from heaven and speaking it out through a human being. And I've seen incredible things happen. I, I've had people tell me things about myself that they could not have known had something otherworldly not told them. So it's not, not stuff they could access on the internet and find out, you know? Um, And so I believe all that stuff, but I, I also believe that if we're not careful, we can hear something from that intuitive mystical place and we can run it through our own personal filter and it can come out different than it was given to us. And so when I hear some words uh, from from people that have prophetic gifts that are declaring things about the president, you know, you you can almost tell like when there's a a a, a, a partisan tent to the word, and you know, I, I saw one the other day where where they were talking about how this and that was going to happen, and because of the brilliance of our president and and the unprecedented hatred towards him, and you know, and you start going, okay. I just don't hear God talking that way. I think that's a human filter. And, and then, and then after a while, again, like in this group think I did, I think the prophets start prophesying off of each other and, and you start to get some recognition and you get yourself on Fox news and, and, and those things can all be a seduction to being a part of the going mindset. So I I always kind of look back to Jeremiah where it says the prophets were all sort of prophesying this one message that Israel was not in trouble from its neighbor Babylon. Um, and one guy, Jeremiah, is like, oh, no, I think Babylon's going to come and get us. And it's God's it's God's plan. And in the middle of that, he says this great verse of, and I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, says the Lord, to give you a future and a hope. So even in the midst of what was a coming destruction, God had a good plan. But other the uh, the other prophets were prophesying out of their nationalism. No calamity will befall us because we're God's country, and and God needs us to be able to accomplish His purposes. And so I think there is a similar mindset in the church today of like, wow, how is God going to accomplish what He wants to accomplish in the world if America is not the greatest military and economic power on earth? And by God, I, I'm like you. I love America, and I, I want us to be sound and and safe and happy. But if that becomes our belief, that that's God's ability to accomplish His goals, because that's what the Pharisees believed in the Bible. That if if Israel wasn't the greatest military economic power on earth, then God's goals could not be accomplished. And and it turns out that God was like, Hey, this Roman Empire is going to help my word be spread to all the world. So let's 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 go for that. And, and sometimes I think if we get stuck in, in sort of a, a partisan spirit, then, then what we hear from God, even what we pray into, 
can start coming out of our humanity rather than out of our interaction with with the spiritual world. And so I, I do see that happening some. And and again, not because anybody is evil. I, that's where I really want to make that point. I'm not saying anybody is dumb or evil out there. I'm saying, can we stop for a second and start to ask ourselves, are we stuck in a little bit of a mindset here that we've given place for so long that we've lost our eyes to see and ears to hear any differing opinion out there. So that's kind of, I guess that's how I see it right now. Well, I, yeah, I, and it's interesting to me when you, when you talk about Israel and the, and the, and the prophets prophesying out of a nationalistic uh, trend, um, Israel and the prophets of Israel had way more uh, ability to prophesy that way because Israel really was the chosen people on yeah. the earth. They knew who they were a little bit. And so that at least has some credence. But when you see it today where, you know, where, where we've replaced Israel, the United States has, and we are God's chosen now. And so it has to be that we are number one all the way along. Um, it, it, it doesn't ring even as true as the hollowness that the prophets brought in Jeremiah or my favorite first Kings 22. And, uh, and those- yeah, I, I got to I jump in and just tell, I had a friend not long ago tell me the United States, they're the, they're the protectors of the world and the keepers of good in the world. And I'm like, whoa, 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 son. Yeah. I, I think you need to back up from that mindset a little bit. Well, I, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I would, I would, I would watch shows on television. Everything was black and white, um, uh, you know, until I was uh, seven or eight years old. And then suddenly we had color TV. Um, but I would watch shows like, I think there was one called Broken Arrow um, with Cochise. And, uh, and, and I, and I'd watch Roy Rogers. I would watch uh, Gene Autry. And um, I grew up thinking that we were the good guys and the Indians were the bad guys, right? Until I got older and began to think with nuance. And, and trust me, people, we have to think with nuance. We have to be able to have more than one thought in our head at the same time. And I began to realize, oh, terrible things were done to Native Americans. Terrible things were done to steal their land. I mean, the Trail of Tears is one of the, the most heart-rending stories in history and, and certainly near the top of our history as Native Americans were forced from their lands in Tennessee, North Carolina, places like that, and forced to walk to their new homes in Oklahoma. Uh, it, 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 ah, it makes me yeah. crazy. Yeah. And so, so here we are. Um, coming back to the prophetic stuff, First Kings 22, to me, is like a smoking gun. You've got Ahab who wants to go to war. Ahab, by the way, was a developer. Did you know oh, this? I didn't know that, yeah. Ahab built cities. Ahab was a builder. He ruled over a really good economic time in the country too, right? He did. And, yeah. and so here he is. He's the king. And, uh, and he realizes there's a piece of land that belongs to him as far as he thinks, um, but some another country is on it. So uh, he consults his prophets, 400 of them, and, and says, should I go to war? Now, 
he also consults the king of Judah, a man named Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat comes, and uh, all 400 prophets have prophesied victory. Go, go, go. The Lord is going to give you the land. It's all going to be good. And uh, and Jehoshaphat says, is there not another prophet? I mean, one of the prophets even had built iron horns and said, as, as things are gouged on these horns, that's what's going to happen to the enemy. They're going to be gouged on your horns. So go. Well, uh, Jehoshaphat asks if there's any other prophets. And, and uh, Ahab says, yeah, there is one other. His name's Micaiah, but I don't like to call on him because he doesn't say good things about me. <laughs> A leader that doesn't like people to say negative things about him. He doesn't say good things about me. Yeah. God, you can look it up. It's 1 Kings 22. I promise you I'm not making this up. Okay. Here comes Micaiah. He comes in and he prophesies exactly what the other 400 are saying. But Jehoshaphat knows that Micaiah is playing and says, prophesy the truth. And Micaiah lays it out. He says, okay, you want to know what I see? I see that there was a council around the Lord. And the Lord said, what can I do to remove Ahab as king? Because he's an evil king. And one of the Lord's counsel says, I will go and be a deceiving spirit in the minds and mouths of prophets. Wow. I, that, I'm telling you, it's a really big deal. It's, and, and this story is actually in the Bible. I've read it. And, and the Lord says, go do what you have to do. And so Micaiah is telling him, this is what I saw. I saw the Lord saying, go do what you have to do. Now that prophet who had made the horns came and literally smacked Micaiah in the face and said, tell me, when did the Lord leave you? I mean, leave me and start talking to you. Micaiah says, if what I'm saying isn't true, go ahead and throw me in prison. And uh, so they threw him in prison. They go into the battle because Ahab believes still in the others. And he, he still went disguised, by the way. He, he did. He was hedging his bets a little bit. Of course. But what happened to him? He is killed. And, and I love the end of the story because Ahab is killed. And it said that there was confusion among the army that had gone with him. And then suddenly there was a peace that came over them and they all went back to their houses. Mm. Um, guys, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the Lord, our God. We mm. live in perilous days. We need to have our eyes open to see what's what. And, and, we need to stop buying into every wind that comes our way and begin to see in the spirit what is happening on this earth because it may not be what we think it is. Yeah. I, I think that's such a good word. And, and I, I, you know, I don't think that there's sort of a God made calamity that comes to get us. Um, but I do think God will allow us to walk to the conclusion of our heart's desires. Um, and I always equate it to, if you read the, the 10 plagues of Egypt, the story of the 10 plagues of Egypt in the Old Testament, on the first couple of plagues, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then in the middle, it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And then at the end, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. 
And I think you get to a point, again, Jesus said about the religious leaders of his day, they don't have eyes to see or ears to hear anymore. They, they cannot hear truth because they've hardened their heart to this other truth for so long that they have no idea. They can look at the sky and know what the weather is, but they don't know the Messiah they're looking for is standing right in front of their face. And I feel like we're there a little bit in that we've been, you know, certainly the church I grew up in, you didn't ask questions. You know, you, you were told that this is what we know. The Bible is settled. We've figured it all out. Don't ask questions. You don't, if you listen to other opinions, you're going to be deceived. And so now, not only are we we talking about the Bible in those terms, but our media in those terms. You know, don't listen to any media that says anything you don't like. But go to these, I, I, I don't know, there are prophets sending people to conspiracy theory websites to get their news. And so I think in some ways we've lost our eyes to see and ears to hear because while Jesus was sitting with the Samaritans and the tax collectors, uh, the the religious people were only sitting with each other and were trying to get next to power and were looking for their way to go. And so I think if you equate that to today, the Samaritans and the tax collectors of today would be the people who don't believe the same way we do. It would be the the, the queer community, the the pro-choice community, and we're not willing to hear anything because we don't want to be deceived. And I think we we can lose our way a little bit in that. Um, and and so in some ways, I feel like we're kind of going to the conclusion of that if we don't allow ourselves to be humbled, pray, seek God's face, and turn from our ways. That's the key, I think, to seeing the healing of division come in our land. So, Paul, uh, what are the answers? I mean, uh, you and I both have a ton of questions, um, and we've got a ton of of uh you know, thoughts, but for those people that are watching, uh, what's something concrete and something uh, very much within their purview that they can do today? Hmm. It's a good question. You know, I, I think, I think that I like that term humble ourselves because that means lay down my weapons if I'm trusting in horses and chariots, if I'm trusting in my ability to vote for a particular party, if I'm trusting my ability to get all the right news from some fringe media, lay that down. Right. Go to another resource. Um, we, we both do other podcasts and I do a podcast where I, I try on a regular basis to, to bring voices of people that we don't hear in the evangelical church, a, a young woman from that says she's from the queer community and, and explaining to me why they use different pronouns or, or bringing a young lady that works with poor Hispanic communities and explaining why they're so hurt by the right wing stances of the church. Hear somebody say something to you that, that pokes, you know, Jesus would say, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And a whole bunch of people would leave because they were offended by what he said, because it offended their sensibilities. And he turned to his closest followers and said, what about you guys? Are you going to go? Mm-hmm. And they were like, excuse my language. Holy shit. <laughs> right. uh, we would leave if we had anywhere else to go. Right. But we're going to hang in there because we think the words of life are in this direction. 
And, and I think if we humble ourselves and say, ah, oh, what I hear being said right now is so different than what I know. And it's so painful for me to hear. And this idea of I am a part of this division of culture and I'm going to have to lay down some of my really staunch belief systems to be able to heal that, then I think some healing starts to come to ourselves and the things that make us have pain and anger. I mean, I think that's a big one, Bob. Look at what are the things that make me really angry right. and, and start to say, okay, is that anger justified? God, is that, is that a, a sign of a root of something that you would like to deal with in my life and start to dig into that? So find a resource, find a person, Zoom with somebody that believes it differently than you and just listen to their story. And don't allow your defenses to rise up. If it starts rising up, just take a deep breath and say, I'm going to still listen. And, and start to let your mind be, tra- be renewed by the tra- this transformation. Let yourself be transformed by this renewing of your mind. Because that verse in Romans 12, 2 says, so you can know the good and perfect will of God. And, and so I think if you really want to know where God is going in a season, you've got to hear things that disagree with what you've always known to be able to fully understand where God is going. So, so basically you're saying that, that culture doesn't really dictate everything. We've got to dig in beyond culture. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. And, uh, and I like that you're saying, you know, find people that, that are different than you to, to spend time with, even in on zoom and whatnot. Proximity is a big deal. When you get to know someone, it's difficult to then hate them. It just is. I mean, it just goes away. I, I tell a story in in uh, a book that I was involved in. Let me show you the book. But I tell the story of uh, if I were a judge on the bench in a, in robes and I had a gavel in my hand. Here's my gavel. Um, and one of my family members, one of my daughters is brought before me. The law requires that I must recuse myself because I'm too close to the client. I'm too close to the defendant, excuse me. And, uh, and so instead of becoming their judge uh, and jury, I take the robe off, I put the gavel down, and I stand beside them as their advocate, because that's what I would do with one of my daughters. Uh, I have to tell you, when we begin to love each other at that level where we can put the gavel down, take off the robe, and then stand next to one another and be advocates for one another, the world changes. Until we're willing to do that, it's business as usual. And we're going to continue to rip each other apart. Uh, But when I allow myself to love Muslims, when I allow myself to love gay people, when I allow myself to love people who are unlike me, and and right now, that's even hardcore evangelicals. I, I mean, because I have issues there too, but I am choosing to love and choosing to see them as sincerely uh, going in a direction. I know they're not doing it just willy-nilly. Um, I happen to disagree, but it doesn't mean that I don't love, because I do. Uh, so when we can when we can get to that point where we can begin to stand beside one another, uh, the world changes. I don't see it happening any other way. That's good. Yeah. I think for me, you know, one of the things I, I just happen to have this book sitting here. This is a book that I've been reading called Jesus and the Disinherited. Uh, a guy named Howard Thurman wrote this book in the 30s. And uh, uh, a black friend of mine asked me to read it. 
And for my wife and I, uh, God has has really put it on our hearts that racial division is is a deep, deep sin in our culture. That that a lot of things can't get resolved in our culture because we haven't fully leaned in and dealt with that sin. And again, it's one where people get really defensive when you start talking about it. And I, again, I think if we humble ourselves and lay down our weapons and, and read something like Howard Thurman and start to say, okay, God, if you have something in this for me to hear, not that I go into shame, we never go to shame, in a, but what we do is we start to say, oh, I'm gonna let my heart hurt for where other people around me are hurting. And when I start to let my heart hurt for the people around me, I think I start to become Christ-like in that I'm willing to sit with those people, grieve with them, and say, how can we start to walk this out together to a better better future? I think that's the model of the life that Jesus showed us. He, he avoided the political divisive discussions of the day. He was never enticed to go sit with Herod or sit with the Roman guys and try to work it out and figure it out politically or manipulate the system. He said, hey, I'm not going to be a victim of the system. I'm going to be empowered through it. I'm going to pay this tax I don't owe just because the job is more important that I'm taking care of people than worrying about fighting these political battles. And I think if we lay down sort of some of those ideas, we can really start to have our heart changed in a way that I think the I think the church and faith can be the most vital weapon. I think our message is amazing, but we've made our message winning political battles to criminalize certain behaviors. And I think our message is being paracletes, people that come alongside others and walk with them and say, I'm going to sit with you, even if it costs me my reputation, even if it costs me my job. That's the life Jesus modeled. And I think we can change the world with that model. There it is. You and I, you and I had a discussion about the, the word paraclete the other day, and it put me in mind of, of uh, there was a group of Christians that used to play sports, and they called themselves athletes in action. And, uh, and I think we do real well to be paracletes in action. And <laughs> we, have, we have the opportunity to be exactly that on the earth, today. Reach out to somebody. Uh, if, if you've got a way to just pick up the phone and call someone who you know is, is isolated and lonely, do that. If you've got a way to Zoom with them, even better, or FaceTime, or whatever the case may be. But people need to be touched during this time. So I think this is a good place to wrap it up. What do you think, Paulie? Love it. Yes, we can be a pair of paracletes, can't we? I'm in. A pair of paracletes. And, uh, and don't forget, uh, always win the day. 